0: Welcome to The Burn, Beyond Firestop. I'm your host, John Zalepka. Our show is focused on life safety and code compliance in the built environment, which puts me on a mission to find the most interesting people in that space and get their unique perspectives. Our hope is that our listening audience walks away with an understanding of how our guests and their businesses also contribute to the promotion of life safety of whatever is being built. Our show is brought to you by Specified Technologies, also known as STI Firestop. And since 1990, STI has been a leading global provider of innovative fire protection that helps stop the spread of smoke, fire, and hot gases. And our guest today knows a thing or two about fire prevention. He's an independent consultant and chief fire strategist specializing in innovative fire protection solutions for emerging technologies. And I'm sure he'll tell us all about that. He has more than 15 years of experience in fire protection, life safety, and code compliance, and with that, Aaron Johnson, welcome to The Burn.
1: Awesome. Thanks, man. I'm glad we could finally connect. And I, uh, I'm a fan of your show, so thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, I appreciate you saying that. And as you know, if you're a fan of this show, I always like to start on a personal note rather than jumping into the whole business of things. And that's why I want to take you back all the way to Hope Sound Bible College. <laughs> I see for a time there you were studying uh, ministerial studies. And does that mean that you were originally considering a career as a pastor?
1: Yeah. So that was kind of the family business. So um, my dad was a preacher and I felt like that's what I should do. And I, I actually preached my first sermon in front of the whole church when I was in sixth grade. So oh, I've been speaking in front of people ever since then. But yeah, that was my original path. And I did that for, I uh, went to school for that for a year and a half, then uh, decided I wanted to, I figured I could always do that. I could always share the word or be involved in church work. Um, but I also wanted something that could make me a little bit of money
0: understandable Um, so I'm guessing you're still active in the church as you know I I creep around on people's LinkedIn profiles and I saw that you've you've done some coaching actually with Upward Sports and I had to check them out also love Google and it (laughs) says that their mission is to promote the discovery of Jesus through sports and I I just thought that was a pretty awesome mission and if you don't mind just tell me a little bit about that organization maybe your involvement
1: yeah so I've been ever since I've since my dad was a preacher, I was always been I've always been involved in the church operations and functions and volunteering. If something needed to be done, my dad was quick to sign me up to do it. So um, I've kind of served in all different areas, especially with youth ministry and kids. So um, when my own uh, my wife, when I met my wife, she had a five year old, and so um, I got involved with upwards through that through his school, and he was playing basketball. So I started coaching and doing that, and it's so it's a really good program. Um, it teaches, you know, kids have uh character traits, right? Not just about winning, but it's also about having a good attitude and how to treat people with respect and and with fairness. Um, and then we also obviously we would do a little devotional and talk about God and the Bible, those kind of things. Um, so it's a really good program. Um and then he kind of aged out of that program. So I've I've been out of that maybe for a couple of years now. Um, from the coaching Um, but I've served there I serve um, and currently I serve with an organization called Our Community Table and what we do is we feed about 1500 people every Saturday in our community so we have these big smokers and um, it's a lot of fun we smoke all different we have five or six different recipes we use and then we go out and distribute the food so that's really my main um, primary serving opportunity that I'm involved with now but always always looking for serving opportunities and always being involved.
0: Awesome. I mean, that's, uh, that's incredible, especially giving back volunteering. And I suppose it's only natural that one of your first jobs was being an EMT to help people and serve them on a, on a daily basis is, is that what sort of led you into that or what, what made you become an EMT in the first place?
1: Yeah. So my ultimate goal was to get into the fire service and work with, work in the fire department. And, um, that was the first step was you had to become an EMT. So I kind of uh-huh. just started just because of that reason, but, um, I went to school for that and, and did that job for a couple of years and um, and enjoyed that then I took the next step to get to the fire service.
0: All right and the fire service I mean was that transition into firefighting and specifically the aircraft rescue firefighting did you always know that you were kind of headed towards the aircraft uh, scene or was it just how would you wind up there I guess
1: So I started I just started going to I went to fire school didn't really know anything about it um, and then in school in the academy, they, um, they tell you about all the different niches and all the different areas that the fire service is active in and what it does. And so from that time, I learned about aircraft rescue, firefighting, or crash rescue, and I learned about uh, fire prevention. So I knew from the academy that I wanted to be involved in both of those areas and both those aspects of the fire service. And so when you, I came out of school and in the state of Florida where I live, um, you have to pay your own way through EMT, you pay your own way through fire school, then you have to apply to jobs. In some other states, it's different where the, they'll hire you first and put you through school, but in Florida, um, it's all on you. And then you go apply to get a job. So it took about um, a year, year and a half to get hired anywhere. I applied at all different departments. And um, my, the first department that did hire me was an aircraft rescue department. In south Florida, i worked for sikorsky aircraft there that builds the black hawk helicopter if you have ever seen black hawk down or the if you ever seen mr deeds i like mr deeds um, when he's singing in the airplane major tone and that and, and he's in that helicopter that's 92 and that's also a sikorsky helicopter so that was my first department to go to work for so i did that and while i was doing that i um i got certified and took the training i needed to do to get into fire prevention to become a fire inspector and then um so i left sikorsky to become a municipal fire inspector for uh a local municipality where I live I did that for five years and then my chief at Sucorsi called me back and said hey we're looking to start a uh, a structured fire prevention program which you to come back and be our fire marshal and run that program so um, I did that for uh, eight years.
0: So that about that same time you started a consulting practice as well or was that part of that and Uh, Was that initially consulting on aircraft rescue or or was it more commercial construction, I guess, with the municipal fire inspector uh, experience that you had there?
1: Yeah. So when I was um, working as a municipal fire inspector, I also started um, blogging. Blogging was kind of new at the time, um, but I would be doing a plan review or out on inspection. I would have a question. I'd go and try to find it, look up an answer. And I got to thinking that if I had this question, I'm sure there's somebody else probably had the same question too. So I just said, oh, I'll start a little blog and I'll put this out there. Mm-hmm. So I ran that blog for 10, 11 years. Um, but from that, I got contacted by some people to do some consulting with them. The consulting primarily was related to fire code compliance, um, fire code compliance in the built environment, fire stopping, um, which you're familiar with, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, so I got started that way. So I did that on the side for that was like my first job into it. And I continued doing that for 10 years until I was able to transition to that full time.
0: Awesome. So I guess having that experience in both aviation and commercial construction, what, what are some of the big differences that you see in terms of fire prevention, I guess, or one or two of the biggest differences?
1: Well, I, I actually wrote an article or a a LinkedIn post a few weeks ago. we will have
0: to get a link in in the show (laughs) notes, send it over to me. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And it's all about training. I think the biggest difference maybe might not be in the materials methods, but it's in the the fire prevention approaches that you take, right? Um, so if I become a, a certified fire inspector for a municipality, there's a whole host of things that I have to look, at, look for and be aware of, right? I could be anywhere from a, a residential to a, a hospital, to a school, to also having responsibilities for an airport or a hangar or something like that. But in aviation, when you're specific to the aviation market, they, they have their own concerns their own um risks that you might not see in the community so my article i wrote about which i was getting to was about is it time for specialized training for people that are in that aviation field because of that right there's different different risks different hazards that have to be addressed and looked at and you're in different codes mostly you know You, you may never have to as a municipal inspector you may never have to look at the at 415 or 409 or um the guide for aircraft rescue, firefighting. You don't have to look at any of those maybe. Um, so when you get into aviation, those are all the codes that you're in that you might not be used to. So I think that is the biggest challenge is just the different level of training that you might have to have and the different things you need to know specific to aviation and aircraft.
0: I mean, you clearly have a passion for for the aviation thing. I mean, it looks like that you've been involved in multiple organizations and getting involved on on committees and the ICC and NFPA and the ARF working group and things like that. Can you talk about some of your committee work and and why do you stay involved?
1: So I like to say, if you want to change the world, you might have to change a code or standard first. (laughs) And I've always preached that wherever I've worked, whatever I've done, I've always preached being involved in the codes and standards process, because that's where everything happens. If you're a firefighter and you're pulling hose to a fire, you're doing that based on what somebody else already said. This is how we should do that, right? You're following someone else's guidance on how to do that. Um, if you're an inspector and you're enforcing one of those codes, well, you're enforcing what somebody else wrote and came up with. And so, it's much—it's a bigger deal to be involved in that and making that code, writing that requirement. Um, you get to lay that out. What's right for your community? Well, you get to have a voice and put that in to say, "Hey, this is this doesn't work for us, and here's what does work for us." So, I always. Am, preach being involved in the codes and standards process. The, um, the other part to that is it gives you a whole different perspective. You know, we can take classes, you can get certified, you can take um, all kinds of things, but you go to seminars, but when you sit on those technical committees and um, you get to actually see, you get, first of all, you're sitting with people that have years of years of experience in this industry and um, you get to get their knowledge. You get to also understand how they come up with these codes and standards, where they come from. You understand the background, the intent, the context. Um, it gives you a whole different perspective and view. And when you're out enforcing that, um, you can actually explain that and say, well, here's, here's why we do this. And here's where this came from. And here's how it is. So, so yeah. I've always been involved in that. And I try to stay involved in those codes and, and standards and technical committees.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a huge part of the value add, especially in the consulting world is to not only say what that code is, or that standard is, but also what the thinking behind it was, and maybe why it, it, it came to be. Is there one piece of code or maybe a particular standard that you've helped develop that stands out in your mind is something that you're proud of, or maybe something that you know was critically needed that you had a hand in, you know, getting past or getting through?
1: Uh, well, one of the things I'm most excited about is actually happening right now with NFPA 418, which is a standard for heliports. So I am sitting on a task group that's called the Vertiports Task Group. So what we're seeing is it's called Urban Air Mobility, UAM, and that's uh, an EVTOL, which is electric vertical takeoff and lift aircraft. So there's several hundred manufacturers that are making electric, electric powered aircraft, for what we call urban air mobility, which is basically an air taxi, kind of like the Jetsons, right? You get to fly everywhere. You pull up your phone, you you pull up an app and uh, you'll have aircraft land by your house and you just jump on it. It takes you where you want it to go. That's the future of it. But we're headed there now. We already have aircraft. We have people that are starting to build infrastructure for that. And so a vertiport is where these type of aircraft are gonna land. So I'm part of that task group that gets to write the fire protection standards and fire protection requirements for these. So I'm I'm excited about that. And I've been involved in that. and I've been heavily involved in that. They're able to make those decisions and sit with those again, sit with those experts in the room uh, in this industry and get to learn from them. So that's been exciting.
0: That's and that, awesome. And I, and I love that. We got to uh, plug the Jetsons in there too. There's so <laughs> many innovations that the Jetsons uh, were so far ahead of their time, but we, we could probably have a whole podcast show on just that. But uh, um, you're also, I mean, you mentioned blogging, but you're also the author of many books, uh, articles, white papers, resources. I and mean, how many books have you published at this point?
1: I've got six fire service related books and a couple other ones that are unrelated, but um, six so far. My last one just came out a couple of weeks ago. It's called "Being Chief: uh, Leadership Principles for the ARF Professional." So there's lots of books out there on fires, on the fire service, on fire service management and leadership in general, but there's no books or materials out there directly directed toward the aircraft rescue firefighting profession and how to lead those departments with their challenges. And so, what I did to write that book is I interviewed almost 40 different chiefs and leaders in the aircraft rescue firefighting industry. And so I was able to take their their replies and their wisdom and their um, their insights and kind of compile them into this book.
0: Well, that's awesome. And we can find all of your books on your website. Is that correct? Let's plug your website right now, shall we?
1: Yeah, it's at aaronj.org.
0: Aaronj.org. Awesome. Yeah. And you know, it, it was a it was actually a certain LinkedIn post that caught my eye that made me reach out to you. I know we, we had talked about doing this show quite a while back, but it was that big, I quit thing. And, you know, I, I definitely say that it made me stop scrolling and, you know, in full disclosure, this is actually the second time that we're recording this. <laughs> uh, I wasn't going to say anything, but I'm bringing it up because uh, we do it nice because we do it twice. But, you know, I, at the time I asked you, what type of reaction were you getting from people? Because that was pretty much a fresh post. And, but I, I guess, what type of reaction did you get and has it been going so far
1: yeah it's been going good i got a good reaction i got a lot of people read that post and viewed it and like i said you know i love the fire service it's been great for me and my family but um that consulting kind of went from my side gig to to my full-time thing i had people come to me and um and the work was there and people wanted me to help them out and that's what i wanted to do so um but it's been good the reaction been good um I think I was most surprised uh, pleasantly about the support of the industry. It's not a uh, cutthroat. You know, it's not like other consultants were out there. You know, we're not trying to steal each other's stuff or put each other down. Other consultants in the space reached out, said, Hey, here, here's some advice. What do you need? Let me know. How can I help you? So.
0: That's awesome. So I'm, I guess now full-time consulting, what's your focus? I, I mean, is it going to be aviation? What's your sweet spot? Who's your, who's your ideal client?
1: If I was your ideal client, what would you say to them right now? So I'd i say I focus on innovative uh, fire protection technology, fire protection solutions for emerging technologies. Right. Um, and so what I mean by that is, for example, the EV told the UAM space. Right. Well, that's something that needs fire protection. That's uh, an emerging technology. It's going to need fire protection solutions. Um, so that's one part of it. The other part would be um, let's say you have a, a traditional fires fire protection product. But you're going to use it in an innovative way, so you might have the best. You might have the best idea, the best fire protection method out there. But if it's not in the codes or standards or accepted, then you're not going to be able to implement it. So I help help people to be able to do that, whether that's through um, writing and drafting and creating a code and standard, whether it's raising awareness to the solution that you have, or whether it's working working with an AHJ or an architect, um, or even having to go through the performance based design process. So I kind of help people navigate that. Um, so that so that their solution can be implemented.
0: I mean, I love how you focus not only on you know the benefits and the value that you bring to the people that are, you know, that you're helping consulting, but but also the industry as a whole. Because another one of your uh, recent LinkedIn posts about the aviation fire prevention credentialing program. I know that in the fire stopping world, we don't have that universally recognized uh, contractor program or things like that. And, you know, I just, I wonder how's the support for that going, or is it still a little bit in a, It's an in infancy.
1: Yeah. So I wrote that post just to kind of see if it was just my own crazy idea or if other people <laughs> were on the same page. Cause I have a lot of crazy ideas. So I like to put them out there, see, see if it's just me, if there's other crazy people, but turned out there's a lot of people that agreed with that. That said, yeah, it is time for that, uh, industry-wide credentialing type of process. So, um, I, I, that part of that post was a draft outline of what that program could look like. So I've gotten some feedback on that and that's a good idea. So now it's like, where do we go from here? Right. Um, and so that's probably what I'll think through in 2022 is just thinking through putting that program together. And what does that look like?
0: So That's great. I mean, uh, I, so I, you obviously see a lot of value in posting on platforms like LinkedIn, not even, I mean, you see a lot of people that are self-serving and promoting themselves, but I mean, you're you're clearly adding value and doing research to see what's what is the industry wants. So, I mean, that's awesome. I commend you for that. Uh, is there anything else that you want to promote to inform us about your services, new products, training, any any live presentations that you're giving? I mean, I, I love that we're we're finally getting back out there.
1: No, I first of all, I wanted to just say thank you for what you do. I mean, you've always put out great great information. You have great guests. So thank you for all that you're doing. Um, Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to 2022 and getting back out into some, to some conferences and things like that. So I've, uh, the only thing I've confirmed for speaking is at at the NAFED conferences, which is the National Association for Fire Equipment Distributors. So those are in March, April, and May. Um, I'll be speaking at all of those and I'll be speaking on um, affecting change through codes and standards. So, um, something again, something I'm passionate about and get to share. So I'll be doing that. Um, no, I, I've just, you know, I'm here, I'm available to help people, whatever you need. If anyone can feel free to reach out to me. I, I'm, I'm just here to help. That's what I kind of got into the industry and that's why I'm still, still carrying with me. Awesome.
0: Well, I really appreciate the time, Aaron. It was great getting to know you again. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I want to thank everyone else out there taking the time to listen. We know that there's a lot of podcasts and you've chosen to listen to ours. So we appreciate it and make sure to check out the show notes. We'll get some of those links in there for you about some of the things that we talked about today. And finally, if you enjoyed this episode or the show in general, we'd love some support. So do whatever you do, leave a rating, write a review, share it on social media. Any help, we greatly appreciate. And to catch the latest and greatest from STI, please check out our website at www.stifirestop.com. And until next time, this is The Burn.